How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in Context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In Context. Well, today on the broadcast, I have got my great, great friend, Robert Lewis White. Robert White, not Bob White. No, Bob White is a bird. And you used to do that. You used to go, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You probably got harassed when you were younger about that, didn't you? Yeah, and, and, you know, Bob White sounds like a salesman on the money-saving mile. Bob White here, and I've got a car for you. Totally. Maybe you should have done that for your profession. We've had Robert and Liz on the broadcast before talking about life and parenting and marriage and re-engage and all kinds of other fun things. And so I was thrilled when he came to town and I said to Hannah, we've got to grab Robert, pull him into the studio and ask you the 10 questions. So let's go to work here. So, you know, first of all, the concept of in context, it's about how we study the Bible in the context which it was written and applied to our lives. So the other side of the double entendre is then how do you as a Christian live in your context as a real estate developer, as a manager, as a property owner, et cetera. So tell us a little bit about how that works as a believer in real estate and property management, dealing with tenants and in the city and laws and regulations and never ends. So I was more interested in taking the approach to my ministry, which I have a passion for. So my vocation has been real estate, and I've done that to provide for my family, and God's been very kind in that. But my advocation, what I advocate, what I really have a passion for, what I want to be known for in the kingdom is just my ability to work with folks and to care about them in especially in the context of their marriage, if they're married, if they've been married, you know, what happened in order for them to have better insight. So that's that's kind of my context that I live and work in. And um, I try to work with folks under the waterline. So whenever I'm with someone, instead of talking about sports or the weather or even their kids sometimes, unless I really feel like I need kind of a starter, I'll try to go below the waterline. And I think about Jesus and how he used his power to converse on a level that was for the other person and not for himself. And so when I'm with someone, it's about them. And I try my hardest to say, what is God asking me to see about them that he wants me to reflect on like you did it to me this morning. I mean, you came in and you said, hey, I want to do the 10 question thing with you. And I looked at you and I said, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and and you looked at me with a mirrored response, like, what? And so here we are doing the 10 questions. Well, and as long as Sydney and I have known you, I mean, it was over 40 years ago, we were moving to Dallas for me to start grad school, and we were visiting churches, and we visited this little church that was meeting elsewhere at the time, and then we visited Trinity Fellowship when they had the building, and you grabbed me by the collar and said, come help me work with students, and I was terrified of high school students, still am to some degree, (laughs) but we began a friendship then, and the one thing I've watched 
you in particular, you've always been an encourager to people and you've always been able, just what you said, to make it about them. Is that your hard wiring? Did you work? It's a hard wiring. It's probably a manipulation. It probably started out a long time ago (laughs) as a manipulation just to try to get people to think something of me. But with having less to prove today, I still am doing it. Well, and Christ transforms us, hopefully. Hopefully. So, so if that was a skill set you might have had of, you know, kind of a Dale Carnegie-esque thing. But but what you said about the waterline is is more to my point because you're able to move, not just encourage and talk to people, even me, not just about me, but you're able to, okay, that's not the issue. Let's go to the issue. What about this? Well, Where did pe- that come from? I really, I look at Jesus as the model You know, his model at the woman at the well was profound. He already knew things, and yet he was slowly going below the waterline with her and letting her see herself in a way that when she exposed herself, she gained insight that was going to change her life because the insight was, I need this. And... uh, we think we need one, two, three. We think we need our spouse to change. We think we need our kids to be more disciplined. We think we need our workers to have more of a passion for what they're doing. But really, that's not the case. So I really try to look at people. With you, it's easy. With some other people, it's a little harder. But I try to show them that I care, that my agenda is not to change them, but to reflect what they are telling me by what is going on under the waterline. And, and just, just for friends that don't know language, when we say under the waterline, it's like, what's the real issue here? You know, because you'll talk to a guy that's maybe mad about his marriage or his wife or whatever, and you're, you're going, wait a minute. It's not because your wife didn't do this or does this. What's really going on is... Correct. Above the waterline, they're being who they think they need to be. So they're acting to some extent. And below the waterline, it's complex for them. They don't want to touch it. They don't want to deal with all those relationships and things that are unreconciled. They don't want to deal with their marriage. Not really. When you look back on your spiritual journey, what's been the greatest challenge for you personally? So this is going to be a little embarrassing, but for someone who's had years and years trying to learn the Word of God and know the Word of God and use the Word of God, I think I really have struggled trusting God, and that's only been within the last couple of years that Liz and I have had to recognize that there is a level of trust that could change everything if we could do it, and um, I think that is maybe my biggest change is really, are you trusting God or are you faking it? I used this illustration years ago with a man who was talking about his life and he had trouble in his marriage and his job and his finances and everything upside down. And I held my two hands out like this in front of me. And I said, so let me get this straight. This is your life in your hand. And you just told me your marriage, your job is all just stressing you out, ain't working. And I'm telling you to put your life in Christ, trust Christ, and put yourself in his hand and rest in him. And I made this gesture of taking, you know, this over to this hand like this. And I said, that's what trusting Christ is about, that you're trusting him to do for you 
what you can't do for yourself. Now, fast forward, the guy came to Christ, amazingly, in God's kindness, and he wrote me this long letter about that. I had forgotten using the illustration, and it's sort of self-condemning because it's like, well, Michael, do you trust me? <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can give out those illustrations and platitudes, but do you trust me? Why, why do we think we're going to do a better job when it ain't working the way we're doing it, but we are reticent to trust Christ? And I'm not talking about salvation, trusting Christ, but the trustworthiness of Christ over our life. Well, it's the like the problem people have with salvation. Are you telling me, Robert, that I need to trust God and that it's not about my work, but it's about what you've done, and I'm trusting what you've done in order for my life to work, and that just doesn't get through our brain, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I so I think every day we have a spiritual problem when we wake up Am I going to trust God or am I going to worry or trust myself or try do, to do find somebody there, out there I can trust in? Do you think there's a corollary that, you know, the, the troubles we have are self-inflicted, but God sort of laughs and he goes, okay, keep working at it. See how well it works out for you. <laughs> I think he has more compassion than we could ever imagine. And I want to talk about that in just a minute, but that is a an, an important uh, I don't like to present him that way because I think his patience and his understanding is so much more than we can imagine. It's in terabytes, and we think in megabytes of how much he really cares about us. I know I know some people don't like this question, but do you have I don't a key verse question. or a favorite book of the Bible and why? Yeah, I think my verse today that uh, I would bring out would be Luke twelve twenty nine. This is a part of a discourse where he is really— showing the people what they need to do. And he says in 1229, he says, and do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink and don't keep worrying. Verse 30, for all these things, the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your father knows that you need these things. And I forget that he knows that I need these things. And when I'm speaking to him that I need these things, I'm not giving him new information. I'm pleading with him. I may be on my knees because I think I need it so bad that if he doesn't help change my wife or help my circumstances in some way, that life is not going to work for me. But he knows that I need these things. Mm. And he is working in his plan to give me those things, but he's not going to do it at the cost of his overall plan. That's what I'm learning. He continues, seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And I love this one. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. And I often think about our kids when they were little, and we have this enormous thing out here awaiting them, but they can't do the little thing to get the big thing. And I often think about my own Christian life. I mean, he's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Why are you worried about you know, material possessions, eat, sleep, drink, whatever, when he's given you an entire kingdom. But, you know, we make that tangible, not spiritual. That's our challenge, right? Yeah, and it says don't seek what you will eat. Well, does that mean I don't go to work? Does that mean I don't take I my kid to the doctor? I can't think about what I'm going to eat today at lunch. <laughs> you can think about what you're going to eat, but is that your don't priority? Don't let your belly be your God. Yeah, is, that, yeah. is that your priority? Is the, the money, is that the priority? Or is it is it really God? 
after Scripture, what two or three books uh, are have been particularly helpful, impactful in your life? I am loving a book by Paul David Tripp called New Morning Mercies. I get encouraged that I need every day to trust God and live for Him, and that guy brings me to that place every day. And um, I'm still strong on Spurgeon. His morning and evening, your readers all know it. I like the evenings more than the mornings. Huh. He takes his mornings and tries to be a little too convicting for me. In his evenings, he's gentle, probably because he picked the ones that he was gentle with himself on. But his messages for evenings usually are what I use in the morning. Uh, there's a guy, Arthur Pink, 100 years ago, The Sovereignty of God. I'm into that. I think we've lost the concept of the sovereignty of God in most Christian circles. And it's just a, been a slippery slope. And uh, so I'm back trying to see that God is sovereign. We don't want to admit it, but our solution to the problems in this world have been to give God a break and just say, you know what, maybe he's not responsible. You know, maybe it's sin. Maybe it's Satan. And so these guys have all the sin has the power and the, the Satan has the power. But in God's sovereignty, he's using all of what's working in my life towards what he's going to do for eternity. What is one of the biggest lessons you've learned at this point in your life? Biggest lesson to this point in my life, 44 years, almost 45, is I am my greatest marriage problem. And as much as I want to change my wife, if I could spend a fraction of it trying to understand that I do not see how I come across, I am not the humility that I need, and I, I, I can't see myself. Yeah, I've always struck uh, Cindy and I, as you know, taught the Family Life Marriage Conferences for 15 years, and when we came to the section on submission and headship, and, and I would always argue submission and headship aren't roles, they're responses. And, you know, otherwise all a wife would ever do is say, yes, dear. I mean, if she's just, that's a role. So it's an attitude and it's the same with leadership and headship. But what strikes me in chapter five of Ephesians is how much space he addresses the wife, which is like an inch on our text. And then like five inches on husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. And I go, stop right there. <laughs> he died for her in her place on her behalf. He didn't complain about her on the cross. He didn't say it's the church's fault. They didn't embrace me. They didn't know who I was. Lord, destroy them, save me. He said, I love them enough to die for them. And you know, that's hard in the flesh and the spirit to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. And he goes on to say, nourish her and cherish her. And he totally appeals to men as no one ever hated his own flesh. <laughs> I think I'll have another portion. I think I'll have a second helping, right? And so we see very practical scripture, but it takes the spirit's control, right? Before I can dial in and say, Cindy is more important than me. And if I love and cherish Cindy, if you love and cherish Liz the way God wants us to, we wouldn't have many marriage struggles, would we? Paul, writing through the Holy Spirit, tells us not to think more highly of ourselves, but in the context of marriage, to be humble. We need to see ourselves for what we're really like. And I've got eyes, and I can see them. I can see my wife, but I can't see myself. And I've got this problem of self-protection, and I've got this wall of shame, and it protects me from seeing my poor, 
relation skills. And it, you know, which you're so extraordinary at in so many relationships. It's like watching yourself on a video, like somebody it's shows yourself on a video I, I and you go, you're myself. kidding, that's hate, me. Hate, so yeah, what do we I, do? I we it. don't look at videos of ourselves. <laughs> next question. That'd be narcissist, right? Yeah. Okay, next question. Um, what is one thing you'd long for every Christian to know, to do, to believe, to live? I would love to give a pill to you, who's my best friend, where you would wake up with a view towards eternity that would allow you this day to see your children, your spouse, your country, all of it through the eyes of a loving, kind God who has your best interest at heart. I've just been through the hardest three years in my marriage, trying to move from focusing on how I've been treated to how I can be a lovely person to my wife. And it's been grueling, grueling. And you know it has. I know it has. Yep. And so I'm very sensitive to Romans 12, where Paul says, don't think. You know, I, I wonder, too, we've talked about this many times. Don't, don't you have to get to our age before you can learn some of these things, Robert? Gosh. I, I just don't think we can learn our 20s and 30s. We're, we're busy. We're building a life, building a family, building a career, worried about money, worried about success, worrying about some pretense of how we come off to people. And by the time you have children and grandchildren and you got a few lumps and you've been where we are, then you say, okay, now I'm ready to learn this. Is that fair? It's fair. And Michael, we've all had an agenda. We've had an agenda, like if I'm going to do this, and we there's got to be payoff. No, but, we, but, but we, under the waterline, we we've had this agenda. And by golly, we're going to get this agenda accomplished. And then if God wants to do something, that's fine. <laughs> but the truth is... Well, excuse me. And that's illustrated so well when people say, when I get my career started, then I'm going to go do a missions trip. <laughs> it's just illustrative of this notion that we have to do. Lloyd Sharp used to talk about what he was dying for. When I was 20, I was dying to get married. And when I was 25, I was dying to have kids. And when I was 40, I was dying for this. On and on it goes. And he's in the hospital with you, and he says to you, and now I'm dying. And I think we've got to have a view of eternity. And I forgot to live. And I forgot to live. That That was was the epitaph. I never heard that. Yeah. So it was a poem he often referred to. But there's an essay collection by uh, Jack London called um, When God Laughs. And one of the chapters is called A Piece of Meat or a Piece of Steak. And it's a marvelous story about this old boxer that's going to go fight this young boxer. And very long story short, they're in a ring. And this this young boxer who's stronger and, you know, has all the attention and the, they've brought him in a car and he's got the fan base and the old boxer walked by himself in the cold and didn't have anything to eat. And he's going to make this fight so he can pay the rent and get a few quid to buy groceries for his wife and kids. And the other guy's got all the fanfare and the Hollywood star and the red carpet, so to speak. And the old man is watching this young man waste his energy. And Sandell, the old fighter, is looking for one swing one swing while this young guy is just flailing and, and missing and, and he sits in the ring in the corner when they had the rest and he looks at the young man and he and I'm not going to say as eloquently as London wrote it but he says if he could give him the wisdom of boxing at his young virile strongest time in his life he'd be a world famous boxer but then he says the only way you can get that wisdom 
is to spend all your strength in your youth to acquire it, and then you're too old to use it. It's a very dark story, but the parallel for, for us, as we're talking in our 60s now, is you know we, we watch younger people, and we, and we want to help them, but sometimes you know, you're just going to have to beat your head against the career wall, or the younger people today are very focused on their own passions, their visions, their goals, their dreams. I don't want to do this. I want to be a core. And, and they get sucked into a system that's just as deceptive, and then they wake up one day, and now you got a big mortgage, and you're strapped. And well, anyway, that's, that's my rant for the day. Well, maybe one rant. Let's talk about your greatest disappointment in your context of ministry, vocation, Christian community. Well, my greatest disappointment that I've not really valued and loved and adored and praised God like he deserves. I'm haunted by my self-protection that keeps that from happening. Like why he knows everything. He wants me to come to him. There's nobody in this life, my spouse, you, anybody that doesn't have a better interest for my heart than he does. And yet I won't praise him. I won't allow him that foothold sometimes. And it just, it haunts me. Why? Why, why won't you and I allow him that entrance and allow and, and submit to him and worship him the way he he deserves just self just sin just stupidity just what you said self-protection i think it's self-protection for me i just uh if maybe if i limit the relationship then maybe so much won't be asked of me because i feel like god's always asking of me but that may be me thinking that god's mm. asking of me when really he's just asking me to love and adore and praise him like he deserves. And I'm so focused on what I think he wants me to do. I was talking to our church a few weeks back about fight the good fight. And the two things that are haunting me of lately are fighting the good fight and don't grow weary of doing good. And I made this little speech about, you know, you're always going to be in a fight. It can be the wrong fight. It can be a bad fight. It can be a dirty fight. We're to fight the good fight. So to know that you're always going to be fighting and you want to be in the right fight, and then the parallel principle, don't grow weary of doing good. And Robert, I get tired of doing good sometimes. I get tired of being in the fight sometimes. Michael, I hear you. Um, You're not going to answer my question. mm -mm. You're not going to help me. You're not going to save me. All right. (laughs) Okay, what's been the greatest encouragement in the context of ministry, life, family, community? God is aware of my shortcomings. That's why he gave me Christ. And Paul talks about being pressing on by forgetting the stuff that happened so that he could give me a margin to need to do what happens today. And I I spend my time holding on to the resentments and the failings and the lack of forgiveness and irreconcilable differences. And they're just, that's just noise to keep from hearing what I need for the driving directions for right now. All that noise keeps me from hearing that. And I have enough so, so, but my question is, what what's your greatest encouragement? What what keeps you encouraged in the middle of all that? Well, he's aware of all this. Okay. And he knows that we're but dust. And he understands that we are trying to prove and trying to make things happen and are trying to cover up and, and are working above our waterline. And he wants us to continue to press on. If you could write yourself, your 18-year-old Robert, write a letter, what advice would you give him? I would say, Robert, you're going to be fine. 
Don't try so hard. Be the dog and let me be the master. Anybody that has a dog knows how much they feel loved. It's just in them. They feel loved and they want to spend time with their master. And it's the greatest encouragement in my ministry that God can work in me. He can work in my spouse. He can work in my kids. It won't be the way I plan it. Necessarily, yeah. But it will be good. It will be good. When you just seek the things that are good, it will be good. I wrote in the margin of my Bible here on Second Timothy chapter 4 at the bottom, my dog is smarter than many people. If you try to fake throwing a ball with her, she turns her ear back and she will not run. And my dog obeys me better than I obey God. Exactly. And it's so poignant for dog lovers. Last question. What do you want your epitaph to read? I would like for it to say he was found faithful. That's what this has all been about for me, getting me to the point of faithfulness. And I'm 67 years old. He's been faithful, but I have just not been that faithful. And I would like to move to that place. And I think he's working in me. I see him working in you to be truly faithful, to be authentic with that. And so that's it. He was found faithful. I think you are, and you will be. And this is my great friend, Robert L. White, 42-plus years maybe yeah. counting. We've yeah. been friends. Yeah. And um, I've shared with our friends so often, you need to develop lifelong friendship with men and women who are going in the same direction. Because when all the pop and circumstance, when the job, when the money, when the chain, when the health, when your children break your hearts, when you get fired, when you lose money, you need people to walk through this life with and Robert has been that brother thanks for doing this with me today a pleasure being your friend mutual love you brother love you did you know that in context is fully funded by our listeners like you if you are a regular listener would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation you can give at michaelincontext.com in context is produced by Hannah Seymour Mix and mastered by Sonamorphic and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.